The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of Brutal Nation. I'm your host, the big, the illustrious, the very handsome and dapper, Scott Alexander. And right across from me is the one, the only, the hairy beast herself, Tammy, the Sasquatch Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. All right, so today we got the part two of this bullshit, right? I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how you figure dapper, but whatever. I am fucking phenomenal. Okay, Mr. Boxer Shorts and T-shirt. That is the best way to be in studio. I'm just saying, and just fucking, <laughs> just some boxers, and uh, th- this is why I love this, because I get to wear, I'm wearing a black T-shirt, some gray boxers, and white socks. You know, I did your laundry the other, last week, I think it was, or the week before, and I noticed that you were very monochromatic. Yeah, very much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you want to know why? Why? I don't give a shit. That's <laughs> because it gets black and slimming. Ha, 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 Why'd you kill her, Scott? Case dismissed. <laughs> <laughs> we understand, Mr. Alexander. Have a nice day. That's right. That's right. No, yeah, we are in part two of Joseph and Michael Callinger. Um, just a little brief recap. Remember that um, he had... Him and his son had done that home invasion in New Jersey, and they couldn't figure out who it was. And then they finally found out an identification of the guy's name through the shirt, remember? And then he was struck by a smooth criminal? Yeah. And so, but the um, but the police in um, Philadelphia? Yeah, in Philadelphia had been having their eye on him since 1974 when his son, one of his kids died mysteriously, remember? Right, I remember that part. Okay. Well, now, part two, um, apparently Joseph Callender had seven children with two different wives. Oh, okay. It was better than me. Yeah. His first two children from his first marriage were already grown. However, the five younger children from his second marriage all lived at home with him. The child in question uh, was Joey Jr. And the events regarding his death were somewhat difficult for the authorities to untangle but it all seemed to start with a complaint filed by the police, filed with the police, and this complaint was laid out in the Philadelphia Inquirer. Um, when Joey Jr. was 12 years old in 1972, he went down to the police station with his 13-year-old sister and nine-year-old brother at his side. All three were accompanied by a 19-year-old boy who said he was their neighbor. And perhaps it was even the sister's boyfriend. Um, They were there to file a complaint that their father had been abusing them severely. Jesus Christ. According to the report, the children told the police they were scared to go home. When the officers asked them to be more specific, they described many incidents when their father had gone about hurting them and humiliating them. According to the older boy, he confirmed their story by explaining how he had seen the older calendar threaten all of the kids at gunpoint. Yeah. From what the children were saying, Callinger was a very dangerous man. They even said that he had hit them with a hammer on their knees. And the police took the children to the hospital to have them examined. And the doctors confirmed that there was something going on because they all had suspicious bruising and burns on their bodies. This guy's not dangerous. He's a fucking asshole is yeah, what he is. Yeah, exactly. 
So when the authorities went over to the Callinger house to investigate further, both Joseph and his wife deny the allegations. You know, of course they're going to. Well, yeah, nobody's going to say, oh, get no, caught me. It was me. It was me. Thank you, sir. Whoop, whoop. As I spill it all down my arm. No. Um, anyways, they denied the allegations and instead said that their children had run away from home and could have been hurt anywhere. Okay. That is the lamest fucking excuse yeah. I have ever fucking heard in my life. Yeah. Could have been hurt anywhere while they were gone. Wasn't us. Despite their denials, though, Joseph was arrested and charged with three counts of abuse. Well, good, 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 yeah. good. At his court appearance, he was ordered to undergo a psychological evaluation by two doctors. They determined that Joseph had an IQ of 84 and he had been having problems since he was 15 years old. Oh, that's the problem. He's a fucking retard. <laughs> yeah. Anywho. My name is Joseph. The sun is bright and I am not. I'm going to hit you. What? What do I do now? You know how I feel about that. I, I am not the retard here and it's not my fault. Joseph's the retard. And okay, but you know how I feel. Anyways, the psychologist reported... Joseph's retarded? I'm going to hit you. The, Joseph was very suspicious of women... And when he went through his first divorce, he was diagnosed with a nervous disorder. Okay, I can't blame him because I'm suspicious as fuck of women, too. Like, I got to admit, man, because every woman to me is very suspect. Of what? Everything. Everything. Uh, okay. See, that's the problem. Well, here's the thing. Because okay. I've had women shoot at me. You have. I've had women try to stab me. You have. I've had women try to beat me with a baseball bat. You have. I've had women break into my fucking house. You have. Common women. denominator, Scott. Wasn't me. <laughs> can't be me. Come on. I was going to say, but there is one common denominator here. Okay. But yeah, see, women. Yes, you ha- no. That's the common denominator, <laughs> women. Okay. You have had those issues, yes. I will give you that. But at the same time, not all women are psychos. Uh, no, not all, but most. Okay, so we got some shots of vodka in front of us. So here's my toast. You ready? Oh, I already did mine because I thought oh, you did damn. yours. So. Here's to the retards. Cheers. I thought you had already did, your, did yours, so I did mine. Anyways, um, no. What was I? Oh, anywho, I lost my place. That's Oh, um. I gotta plug Bail Vodka again, man. That is just some amazing shit they. Oh, Bail Vodka? If. And they're they're not a sponsor, by the way. No, and they're not everywhere either, I've noticed. No, that's suck. If in your liquor store you can find Bail Vodka, little tippy poo for you. Get the the caramel and the double espresso. Double espresso. Yes. Do half and half. As a shot, I and put the caramel first and then layer the, the coffee on top of it. I promise you, you'll be sending us emails going, oh, my God, Scott, this, this is amazing. Yes. Yeah, this is good shit. And if you get the peanut butter one, you found out if you mix it with some cream soda, it actually tastes really good. Right. That's the uh, that, that was that peanut butter swirl. Yeah. You, you really need the cream soda in there to bring out the, uh, the peanut butter notes. Okay, so that's, that's my little plug for Veil Vodka. That's his plug. Um, let's see here. So anyways, he, as, like I said, he was diagnosed with a nervous disorder. On one occasion, he was sitting on some steps outside and appeared to have a full-blown case of amnesia. When he was taken to the hospital, he complained to the doctors that he was experiencing some horrible headaches. Thank you. 
Um, at that time, the doctor said he suffered from, quote, a sexual anxiety. Okay, this is during his <laughs> first divorce. Yeah, no, me too. I totally suffered from sexual anxiety. <laughs> okay, I'm not, no, I don't want to know. So Shut many up. women, so little time. I was going to say, what anxiety do you have? <laughs> well, you know, you look at, all right, I got to stretch out properly, you know, like, especially if it's a bigger lady, you know, you got to go, okay, I got to come up with a plan because this is, this is big mama. You're going to have to attack it strategically? That's right. You got to come up with a good plan of attack, man. Oh, my God. Anyways, the court-appointing psychologist then diagnosed him with a paranoid schizophrenia. Their recommendation was that the court commit him to a mental facility, and should he be released, he and his family should be placed on supervision. If the courts would have gone with this recommendation, it may have helped the situation. However, that was not to be the case. Okay? Despite the recommendation of the two court-appointed psychologists, Joseph was seen by other doctors as well. And they didn't feel as if the diagnosis from the first two professionals was correct. They did agree that the man had issues, but they felt he was competent enough to stand trial. This was still back in like the 70s, right? Yes, it was in the 70s. Okay, look, 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 look. I'm really sure that in the 70s, everybody was a freaking idiot. And let me tell you why. Well, yeah, because it was in the 70s, too. Remember when they had those quote-unquote witch hunts against the um, daycare providers who supposedly um, sodomized children? Remember that? Right. And nothing came of that except for people losing their jobs. Exactly. And 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 having to freaking, yeah. Yeah. And they were innocent. And then uh, we we can throw the zebra murders on there. Oh, God, yes. You know, we're going to stop every black person because we think that black people perpetrated the crime. And it was black people, but it wasn't like every black person. Exactly. (laughs) Remember how they had to issue cards? Yeah, yeah. Know, hey, we checked you out. Here's your here's your right to be black. Here's card. your sign. <laughs> you know, I just in the seventies, I'm just I'm become convinced. Yeah, that everybody was an idiot because it's just, every time we turn around, you know, whether it's a medical Monday and we're talking about like you oh, know, like, yeah. like Colin Norris or something like that, which that's more of the eighties ish, the eighties, nineties, two thousands, yeah. But um, it just seems like, especially during the seventies, when it comes to medical or anything else. Like, for the medical part, it's always, okay, look, we know you're murdering people. Don't murder them here. But here's a glowing recommendation. Go right. over to this hospital. They'll exactly. Hire you. Exactly. Or it's, okay, this guy might be a lunatic. We see that he's beating his kids, and he's like, he's screwing a goat. But you know what? We don't think he's mentally unstable. I mean, go on, you little right. scamp. We're just going to supervise right. you for a little bit. Jesus fucking Christ, people. I, 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 I'm not seeing we're much smarter today. Okay, but we're, at least we're a little bit smarter. Like, there's a enough laws bit. in place. Like, if you like yeah. beat your kids, they fucking everybody's gonna come down and go, dude, you can't beat your kids. You just can't do that. You can't take hammers to their knees if you're screwing a goat. <laughs> you think you can't? Yeah, if, you're, if you get caught boning a goat, they're like, dude, no, that's illegal. You're going to prison, and you get, you need a psych evaluation. <laughs> boning a goat, illegal. <laughs> oh yeah, actually, nope so yourself, no. <laughs> so is having sex with a dead animal. Really. True story, and we'll get back on track. I, I was going to say, how do you know, This is going to be a long freaking episode, apparently. But, um, so I'm driving through, um, I was driving up to Minnesota, and I think I was in Iowa, but I can't remember. But in his, Probably. I'm listening to some talk radio, and they, they were talking about the weirdest news from their county. Okay, it had to have been Iowa then. And 
This guy had been arrested because he got caught humping a half of a dead deer. Yeah, fifty oh. percent of a dead deer, not a whole one. <laughs> on the side of the road. Okay, back half or front half. Uh, they didn't specify. <laughs> yeah. Ew. And apparently this wasn't the first time he was arrested for that. I was gonna say for that. Ew. An animal necrophiliac, man. I, you know what? I will say it was Iowa because, you know, I always say what Iowa stands for. Idiots out walking around. So, yeah. Yeah. It was entertaining. Anyway, continue yeah. okay. on with Anyways. Joseph and Michael. Anyways, so these doctors also met with other family members. During those meetings, they did determine that all of the boys in the family appeared to be emotionally disturbed on some level. Dis- oh, yeah. Thank. Yeah. Despite that, they didn't feel it was connected to Joseph's mental health issues. Uh, 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 Yeah, they felt that Joseph was only an immature, self-centered man and recommended the entire family undergo counseling. I recommend anybody who did that eval undergo counseling (laughs) and incarceration. Lose lose your license and get get, get mental health. You guys need modern drugs, like for real. Like you need some heavy-duty fucking medication, idiots. Yeah. So check this out. At the conclusion of the trial, Joseph was convicted of the child abuse charges, but only received a short prison sentence with time served. Since he had already spent seven months in jail while he waited for the trial, his time served meant that he was released from jail altogether. Holy shit. Yeah. Then in 1973, those three children that accused him originally appeared in court to recant their accusations. They each submitted affidavits claiming they lied about the abuse and the charges against Joseph were based on false allegations. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I can get away with abusing kids? I'm going to go visit my neighbors. I'll be right back. (laughs) Actually, there were three separate accounts regarding this series of events. One, the report in the Philadelphia Inquiry said that Joseph was still in jail when the the children recanted their accusations and that that's why he was released. Number two, another report indicated that he had already been released before the children recanted. And then Flora Schreiber, who I'll get into in part three more, um, she wrote the book, The Shoemaker, that the court should have ordered Joseph to be committed to a mental institution. Instead, a series of poor decisions were made. And the main one being the judge decided that a father should support his family. So he let Joseph out of jail before the children decide to recant their story. You see, that's fucking ridiculous. And I agree with her on that one because, okay. Yeah, you won't agree with her later, but yeah. I've said this before, but it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck. It's a fucking duck. Yeah. The whole family's wacko. They already said that, right? Like everybody needs counseling. They've determined that he's got all these mental disabilities. Right. And yet they're all, you know what? Get out of here. Yeah. You should support your family. That's stupid. Yeah, exactly. He's a, obviously, and we can say this in hindsight, but I would think that it would be a common sense thing at the time and go, this guy's a danger. Yeah. We need to really pick him apart a little bit to kind of figure out and make a better determination if he is a danger to himself and society. Right. Or if this is something that can be controlled, With you know, meds. well, not, well, 70s, not a whole lot oh, of meds. that's true. But, you know, like with counseling, it kind of give them some, some new life skills. And they, they didn't do that. They failed. And it cost a lot of people their fucking lives in right. torture. That's well, what, that's what happened. I, I'll tell you this, that back then, because I was going through all the um, 
the photos and everything too for this case is that when he'd go to his trial and everything, he would take his Bible with him and just sit there and read the Bible during the whole court proceedings. Oh, dude, you see that with prisoners a lot. Yeah. Because uh, nobody finds God quicker than an inmate. Than an inmate. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's true. You either find you either find Jesus or Allah or Buddha or or Taoism. You, yeah. you find some religion really fucking quick as soon as you're incarcerated. Oh yeah, totally, totally, yeah. <laughs> so, um, no matter what, after the children submitted their affidavits, the judge didn't have any other choice but to clear those charges off Joseph's record, right? Whoa, 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 whoa. No choice. Well, because this was back before crime against the person is a crime against oh, the state. Oh, that's right. That's right. I, I forgot. This, this is, is the 70s. 70s. Yeah. I, I forgot. That was enacted in the 80s. Yes. Actually, um, it was in the 90s, but okay. It was? I mm-hmm. thought it was like late 80s. No, it was early 90s. Oh, son of a bitch. Okay. Yeah. I'm two decades late. You'll you'll be all right. No, so I we, won't. This is going to affect. I'm going to have nightmares now. And a Joseph beating you with his hammer. Mm, yeah, give me the hammer, <laughs> Big Joe. And he was, he was he was psycho. Give and, me your psycho hammer, Big yeah. Joe. Is that better? Yeah. What, what are you looking <laughs> it for here? Matter that the police who had taken the children's statements in the beginning thought there was something off about how they suddenly retracted their statements. Some felt that they were afraid of what their father was going to do now that he was a free man. Shit, I'm not his kid, and I'm afraid of what their exactly. father's going to do. So the police officers tried to take to talk to the children again, but it didn't work. They refused to change their stories from what the affidavits, their new affidavits was claiming. They claimed that they had made the whole thing up because they didn't like how strict their father was. When Joseph was interviewed years later, he told the interview that after he was arrested, he had started calling his three children, quote, total gods. He said it was because they had defeated the king. He claimed he was scared of them at that point and asked them to recant their accusations for the sake of his shoe repair business. The motherfucker's manipulative as fuck. He said they agreed to do so because they were under the impression that the family would live better because the business would make more money if they did. Okay, yeah. Manipulative. So, Joey Jr. had already had some trouble of his own when he admitted his role in filing false charges against his father. As a result, he wound up being sent to Bucks County Reformatory. Once he was there, he was evaluated by some social workers, and they determined that he was seriously disturbed. They also discovered that he had experienced some homosexual encounters, so they felt he needed to be observed professionally. Because remember, back then, it was a mental disorder. Right, right, right. Right. They assigned his case to a psychiatrist, and despite his diagnosis, he managed to receive weekend passes during one of his passes he arrived at the philadelphia bulletin offices and he was at a, on a pair of crutches and it looked like he had been beaten up he told them he had broken his leg falling off of a train workers at the newspaper office called joseph and he came down and began arguing with his son he insisted that the boy return to the reform school Joey Jr. did and was released from there in May of 1974. Two months after his release, Joseph took a life insurance policy out on him and his younger son. In the event of Joey Jr.'s death, Joseph would receive a payout of $45,000. That's pretty damn good for the 70s, man. Yeah. So before the month was over, Joseph was down at the police station filing a missing persons report on Joey. 
Even though the police conducted a search, they weren't able to turn up anything. Then in August of 1974, Joey Jr.'s remains were found by a wrecking crew lying in a sub-basement of an abandoned building on the corner of 9th and Market Street. That was scheduled for demolition. His body was covered with the rubble, which made it difficult to see. So they're lucky they even saw him. After the pathologist conducted the autopsy, he reported that he wasn't able to clearly determine the cause of death, but he thought Joey Jr. might have been buried alive. He came to this conclusion because the same thing had happened to another young boy from North Philadelphia that same month at another abandoned building, which we will get into later. Okay? So almost as soon as he was told what happened to his son, Joseph went down to John Hancock Mutual Life Insurance Company and filed a claim to collect his money. The adjuster refused to pay out the claim, though. Joseph tried to appeal by saying he only took out the policies on his two sons because they were the most reckless of his five children and the other ones were still alive. And the other one was still alive, so it was only one dead, so he didn't take it out because he was planning on killing them. Jesus Christ, what a winner. What a winner chicken dinner right there. Right? So the company still refused his payout. Although they couldn't prove he had murdered his son, they still didn't buy Joseph's story, mainly due to the fact that he already had a history as a, quote, poor insurance risk. Apparently, 10 years before Joey Jr. died, Joseph had taken out an insurance policy on a building that later became damaged in a fire. That, he collected $15,000 on that claim. Less than a week later, another fire broke out in the same building, and he received another payout. Two years later, a third fire broke out in the same building, and he received a third payout for the damages. He's moving on up to the side. He's like the Jeffersons. Yeah. If you don't know who the Jeffersons were... Watch some TV. Watch some goddamn uh, classic TV, because Jeffersons were freaking awesome. Yeah. So then when yet another fire broke out in the now vacant building, the fire department determined it was arson and Joseph was arrested. Even though the charges were dropped due to lack of evidence, the insurance company never paid out on the fourth claim and further investigation couldn't determine the cause of the fires. But because of those claims, he was in, considered a, high in, a poor insurance risk and they wouldn't pay out on Joseph Jr., so, two short months after Joseph Jr.'s body was discovered, one of Joseph's other sons was found wandering aimlessly around Camden with head injuries. When Joseph was questions, questioned about it, he explained it was an accident. Um, so, the homicide squad at the Philadelphia Police Department became suspicious of Joseph, and they sat down. They set about trying to gather evidence against him, but he filed a harassment suit against them and won in court. Despite that, the squad still thought he murdered his son. Therefore, when Roseman, the detective from New Jersey, arrived asking his questions, they had a lot to tell him. They even gave him a picture of Joseph so he would know what the man looked like. And while they relayed the information about Joey to the detective, they actually placed Joseph under surveillance again so they could keep an eye on him. They were just waiting for word to arrest him. <laughs> So Roseman took the photo and gave a copy of it to the police in the other jurisdictions. And each department took their copy of the photo down to the victim of the home invasions. And they all positively identified Joseph as their intruder. They also realized that his photo resembled the composites that were drawn after the home invasions in Harrisburg. The authorities determined that the younger boy with him could have been one of his other two younger sons. They were both rather skinny with long blonde hair. And if you look at the picture, they both kind of look like they have effeminate qualities. Um, 
now that they had enough evidence to make an arrest, the authorities were ready to make their move. They moved in on Joseph on Friday, November or January 17th, 1975, which coincidentally was the 22nd birthday of Maria Fashing, the nurse he murdered. Oh, okay. I know. It was just a little coincidence that was thrown in there that I thought was kind of worth mentioning. So the police moved in the house located at 100 East Sterner Street at approximately 9.45 p.m. on January 17th. They were there to arrest 39-year-old Joseph and his 12-year-old son, Michael. As the officers approached the house, Joseph saw them coming and crawled to his mother's house through a hole he had connected through the two residences so he could call his attorney. It was like a rat. Yeah, pretty much. Only, never mind. I was going to be me. I was going to be disgusting. But once he was under arrest, Joseph told the authorities that he wouldn't be giving them a statement other than to say that he was innocent until his lawyer was present. Reports indicated at the time that Joseph and Michael were only accused of kidnapping in regards to the home invasion on December 3rd, 1974 at the house in Susquehanna County. That was the one that happened in Philadelphia. Right. That was the incident where four women were tied up and one was wounded as the pair made off with $20,000 in stolen goods. When they arrived at the station, they were not only questioned by local detectives, but also by Roseman and the detectives from the other jurisdictions where home invasions took place. It didn't take long after Roseman questioned them before Joseph was charged for the murder of Maria Fashing. Now, for some reason, Joseph was put on trial to face the charges in Harrisburg first. When he was able to post his bail, he was taken to Dauphin County Jail. Oh, when he was unable to post his bail, excuse me. Both he and his son were considered suspects in what turned out to be a seven-week crime spree that spread across three states and included rape and robbery. Michael was sent to Duffin County Juvenile Detention Center while he waited for his trial. The authorities were able to match his son and Joseph's fingerprints with the prints found inside the house in Harrisburg. Busted. Yeah. Even though detectives suspected Joseph had taken his other son to commit at least one of the home invasions, they decided not to pursue charges against that youth. Now, Elizabeth Betty Callinger, Joseph's wife, protested against everything. She said that her family had already suffered, quote, too much tragedy, considering her son Joey had died the year before, her sister had just died recently, and her mother was facing having to undergo surgery, and now her husband and son were arrested. It all had to be a terrible mistake because her husband had not done these things they were accusing him of. And if you see her picture, she was like the epitome of a dumb blonde. <laughs> she told a newspaper reporter, I can't take much more. It was also overwhelming to her. Without her husband, she had to take care of her 18-month-old and her 16-year-old daughters, as well as her 11-year-old son. And her 21-year-old stepson was living with them as well. It was just so much for her. Um, so stressful. I know. Poor woman. I don't know how she survived. Well, apparently she didn't get killed by Joseph and Michael, so... There you go. You know, exactly. Some ninja skills going on there. So when the police searched Joseph home, Joseph's house and his mother's next door, since the, you know they were attached by a hole in the wall, they found even more evidence that proved he was involved in the home evasions, most of which were the valuables that were reported missing. The Philadelphia Inquirer sent reporters out to interview Joseph's neighbors and other shop owners in the area, and they all said the same basic things. Joseph was innocent, and there was obviously no way he committed murder. A 14-year-old acquaintance of Joey Jr.'s told the reporter that he witnessed, and he said, quote, Joey got into a green sedan with a gay older man. 
Actually, he used the F, you know, he said faggot, but I hate that word. So, therefore, he thought that man was responsible for Joey Jr.'s death. Despite that, he thought Joseph was guilty of the other crimes. He said, I think he did it. He's a mean old man. <laughs> it's like nothing like the truth of babes, right? Right, right, right. Uh-huh. So while Joseph was in jail, detectives continued to question him. They had enough physical evidence and witness reports that made them certain he was responsible for the home invasions and murder. Now they wanted to know his motive. At first, they thought the motive was obviously, quote, self-enrichment. You know, greed. However, that wasn't even close. They soon discovered that Joseph Callender was a, quote, very odd and puzzling man. Now, reports indicate that when detectives were taking Joseph from the interrogation room back to his cell, he noticed his son Michael sitting in a different area of the station waiting for his turn to be processed. As soon as he was within earshot of the boy, he looked at his son and said, quote, if you tell them anything, I'll kill you. God damn. I know, right in front of the police. Damn. (laughs) Nothing like keeping your mouth shut, right? Yeah, there's nothing like that. Why not incriminate yourself right there? You tell anybody, motherfucker, I'll kill you. Right? Well, okay, don't. That's not suspicious at all, dude. Not at all. all. So when Michael was being interrogated by social workers and detectives, they asked him to explain why his school records indicated he was absent on the exact dates when each home invasion occurred. However, no matter how they approached the subject, Michael didn't answer any of their questions. Elizabeth Callinger went public with her own theory, which Joseph's attorney, Malcolm Berkowitz, affirmed. Gotta be a Jew with the (laughs) Berkowitz going on. That's a Jewish name, a good Berkowitz. Well, I'm sure Callinger is a Jewish name too, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know any Callingers. That sounds like a rotten Irish to me. Oh, okay. So... Okay, so this is her theory. The authorities were bound and determined to put Joseph Callinger in prison. According to Elizabeth and Berkowitz, since Joseph had won his lawsuit against the department, they held a grudge against him. So, it's the authorities' fault he's in jail now. Damn police. (laughs) So, Berkowitz insisted that the shirt the authorities found in the park in Leonia had been planted by them. He claimed the fingerprints gathered at the crime scene were, quote, flimsy at best. And Elizabeth continued to insist that the jewelry the police found and removed from her home were her own. Despite their claims, the authorities continued to conduct their investigation through the spring and summer of 75. It became clear to them that Joseph was a, quote, distrustful, paranoid man with strange habits. They discovered that his wife and children weren't allowed to have any friends, and the relationships he had with his neighbors could only be described as hostile. Okay, you shouldn't allow your wife to have friends anyway, because that way there they get all, you know, that's when they they start getting all lippy. So, you can't let them have friends. Oh, when they have friends that tell them they don't have to put up with your bullshit? You're right, man. Then then you gotta smack them down a lot, and, you know, keep them in line. You gotta keep them in line. What am I gonna do with you? (laughs) I'm just kidding. According to reports, he insisted that he had only, that he be the only one to have, quote, the talk with his children about sex. He was also considered to be strict and authoritarian, similar to the way his adoptive parents were with him. Apparently, they were Austrian immigrants who only adopted him so that they could have someone to work their shoe repair business. You know, child labor. Isn't that why we all have kids? Exactly. <laughs> Duh. 
<laughs> I didn't want kids. I needed employees, man. I know, right? God That's damn. what I was told. Why do you think I had you? And uh, and it's a tax write-off, so that helped. Oh, well, you know, that's a bonus. <laughs> Even though Elizabeth protested Joseph Joseph's arrest in the beginning, remember, he couldn't have done it. After he was in jail for several months, she changed her tune. She told a social worker then that she was relieved that he was gone and, quote, did not want to have him back in her home. According to reports, she felt it was as she were, quote, free for the first time in a long time now that he was out of her life. So, see, he just needs to be gone for a little bit. That's right. But then, <laughs> you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And she's like, I think I love him. Yeah. He's so special. Then he comes back and beats the shit out of everybody. Yeah, I, I, I feel it, yeah. Yeah. So, while the authorities were building their case against Joseph, he was preparing his def- defense. He started talking to anyone who would listen that, quote, God had a mission for him. Apparently, he was supposed to help people because their, quote, brains had been adversely affected by shoes that were poorly constructed. According to him, quote, the devil in various guises had pursued him for over 1,000 years. No, I can buy that. Yeah. No. Oh, no, it gets more. That's it gets legit. better. That's, that's I, I'm feeling the pain there, Joseph. Yeah, it tracks. That's fine. <laughs> so in 1975, Joseph was ordered to undergo a psychiatric evaluation, which lasted for approximately two hours. The courts wanted to determine if he was mentally competent, competent enough to stand trial. Dr. John Hume performed the psychological examination and reported that Joseph was suffering from an antisocial personality disorder, which wasn't enough to warrant a real legal mental disorder. In fact, (laughs) according to Dr. Hume, Joseph was, quote, faking insanity. According to Dr. Hume, Joseph was feigning the trouble he allegedly had with his memory and faking his, quote, visitations from God. Granted, there was no denying his intellectual deficiencies. After all, he dropped out of school sometime in the 8th or ninth grade. However, he was able to speak coherently and seemed to understand everything he was asked. For all intents and purposes, he was normal by legal standards. Okay? Now, that's not to say he was normal, but he was by legal standards. Results from Joseph's neurological exams determined there was nothing glaringly obvious. Reports indicate that Dr. Hume also talked with one of the other inmates housed with Joseph, and this inmate told him Callender had killed the nurse because she refused to provide oral sex. Okay? You know what? I'll tell you what. When I've been in the hospital having a surgery or even just sick, I get a little offended when the old lady nurse won't give me a blowjob. But see, this nurse was at this person's house. That's, so. that, that's even that's even a lamer excuse. I'm telling you. Does it? Does my insurance cover that? I'm pretty sure my insurance covers that. I don't know. Should we look into that for you? Hell yes. I need to know for future reference. In my if I'm in the hospital, doesn't my insurance cover the nurse giving me a blowjob? Or at least a handy J. <laughs> I mean, help a brother out here. Oh my god, I'm done. You okay? Yeah, I almost choked. Don't don't don't, don't choke on the vitamin D. No, no, it was on. Never mind. I got a few shots in me, so I'm feeling I pretty know, fucking good right now. That and I almost choked on my own saliva trying to choke back <laughs> that laugh. <laughs> Shut She's up! No, I know I didn't want mouth. to say that because I knew where you were going to go. You're but... watering at the mouth. Yeah. So the... <laughs> you're thinking of Joseph and getting all hot. Ew! No. If you've seen his pictures, no. 
The other inmate also informed Dr. Hume that Joseph had told him he was using funds obtained in the home invasions to pay for his defense. And he admitted that he planned to, quote, fake insanity. However, Dr. Hume's report also stated that this other inmate's account might be falsely might be false considering he already had a reputation for trying to get his time reduced by providing information on others. In the end, Dr. Hume determined that Joseph Callinger knew right from wrong and was competent to stand trial nonetheless. Now, during oh, during his first Joseph's first trial took place sometime in the late spring of 1975, and it was over very quickly. During the course of events of that first trial, Joseph arrived carrying his Bible and a copy of The Life of Christ, which he read while the prosecution and defense attorneys were selecting the jury and going through trial preps. And with that said, let us pray. Dear (laughs) Lord, please keep these idiots stupid because they have released me many times. I want to go up there and be able to murder. I want to be able to do some raping, Lord. And I know. I know within my heart of hearts, oh Jesus, you'll let me free. I say this in Christ. Amen. I wish I could remember what it was. Flood something and run away Negro. Oh, that (laughs) book. Yeah. Lord, please protect us from floods, famines, and runaway Negroes. Was it famine? I think it was famine or something like that. I just remember the floods and runaway Negroes. Because you called me up all jazzed about that one. I laughed. And it was a horror book, too, man. And I laughed. I laughed a little too hard at that. I've got to admit, I laughed a little too hard. I bet you did. So, um, let's see here. However, while one of the sheriff's matrons was giving her testimony on the stand, she let it slip that Joseph was suspected in a murder case. And since she revealed that information in front of the jury, the judge had no choice but to declare a mistrial at the time. Um, So, his second trial in Harrisburg took place started on September 8th 1975 in Harrisburg Dauphin County Pennsylvania and only lasted eight days he was facing four charges of robbery four charges of false imprisonment one charge of burglary and other related charges the trial was held by John Judge John C. Dowling and the defense team consisted of attorneys Malcolm Berkowitz and Arthur Gutkin which I'm pretty sure is another Jewish guy Gutkin that's just that reminds me, I, I would think he'd be a hobo, actually. You, you know, would I, think, but My no. name's Gutkin. I like to drink and I sleep behind a dumpster. But <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you're, you're definitely a Gutkin. Okay, yeah. you party on with that, buddy. So the prosecutors were Leroy Zimmerman and Richard Guida. Now that, that sounds like a fucking mom that, name. That's an Italian right now. Yeah. My name is Richard Guida. We're going to talk for a little while, and then we're going to come to a conclusion that will be um, mutually beneficial. <laughs> That's right. If you um, kind of get my trip. Louie, Louie, go get the baseball bat. Me and, this, uh, me and this gentleman, Joseph here, we need to talk. I'm telling you, it sounds a total mob name. So Joseph arrived in court once again carrying his Bible, which he read throughout the proceedings. Praise the Lord. Yeah, it seemed like he wasn't paying any attention to what was going on around him, except for the occasions when his attorney asked him a question. All four victims from the home invasion were called to the stand to testify, and three of them positively identified their attacker as Joseph. They also stated the items recovered by the authorities during their search belonged to them. The investigators took the stand next... 
the investigators on the case took the stand next and testified that they had recovered some of the missing pieces of jewelry from the Callinger home during their search. They also stated that the fingerprints they lifted from the house in question were a positive match to him. Since the prosecution didn't really need to do anything more to prove that Joseph was in the home on the date of the incident, Michael was never brought in to testify against his father. Hmm. Yeah. Which you'll find something very interesting out throughout as we go. Now, the defense decided they wanted to present the issue of Joseph's state of mind at the time the crime occurred. I know his state of mind. It's Pennsylvania. (laughs) No, that's his state of residence. Oh, same thing. Same thing. You know, he's lucky he didn't get caught by the Amish. I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, the Pennsylvania Dutch. (laughs) Jebediah, did you happen to see Mr. Joseph do what he did? I guess I did, Jeremiah. This stalks with him then. (laughs) He would have been all fucked up then. You yeah. don't want to be fucked with. Do you know it's illegal to pass a bu- horse and buggy? Holy shit. I never told you that story. <laughs> no. Oh, fuck yeah. Okay. So, true story. So, I'm, I'm, I'm driving over the road for a trucking company. And it's my first time picking up at the Hershey Chocolate Factory in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Right. Here's what the instructions say. Get off on exit. I think it was like two or three off the turnpike. And take a left on the gravel road. Okay. Okay. I get off, and I'm looking. I don't see a gravel road. Those sound road. like <laughs> southern directions. No shit, huh? So I go up the road, and I see a big sign that says Hershey's on it. I said, that must be them. I take a right into this place, not a left, and it's their corporate building and the police academy. I'm like, oh, that's great. So I stop a car and goes, yeah, just follow this road all the way out, you know, and it'll bring you right back here. Well, it doesn't. It takes you to the back of this goddamn place on a different street. So I get out, and I'm okay. I know that if I go a couple miles up the road here, I'll hit the same street that I passed, and I can cut back road. Cool. There's a goddamn horse and buggy. Clip, clop, clip, clop, clip, clop. I'm up. You know what? I'm going to pass him. So I signaled, and I'm making sure it's safe, and I slowly passed him, you know, and got around him. And about a half mile up the road, woo, I get pulled over. And the cop comes, driver, do you know why I pulled you over? I said, honest to God? I have not the slightest today. clue. today. Why? He goes, you passed an Amish. Said, oh, good eye, officer. Yes, I did. Passed an Amish. You know that's illegal? I'm about, get the hell out. He's like, yeah, it's illegal. Yeah. I'm going to write me a ticket? No, because I noticed that he, he should have pulled off for you. They're, they're supposed to do that, but he didn't do that. Just, just know that you can get a ticket for that. That's freaking stupid. Yeah, illegal. But at least he, he led me to the gravel road, which is a street that's actually called the, the gravel, gravel road. road. Yeah, I, I kind of figured that as you're going, because I'm like, yeah, because those are sa- southern directions for real. That's a dumbass thing right there. God, yeah. They should have put like a little italics in there, like the streets are actually called the gravel road. Because I'm right. looking for gravel road. Right. Exactly. <coughs> Duh. So that's my little story, poo. Anyways, so um, in order to do this, you know, to present his state of mind they called elizabeth calendar and a physician to the stand however the bulk of their defense relied on joseph calendar taking the stand and testifying his own defense now everyone present discovered right away that the defense team was hoping the jury would be able to see for themselves that joseph was was a disturbed individual during his testimony he said quote there are lots of periods that i can't recall and he claimed that God regularly committed, communicated with him, quote, by touching his arm and conveying special, specific feelings, not special, specific. 
He also talked about his, quote, mission. And according to Joseph, he was, quote, to construct special heel plates for shoes so that people's souls would align in the right ways for God's coming in 1978, which is only three years away. He went on to say that the heel of the foot is an area of the body that controls the mind. And if pressures were placed against the various parts that surround the heel of the foot, it blocks off various valves leading to the mind. And that situation occurred, a person supposedly felt tired. Now, okay, all jokes aside... There's some validity to that. I was going to say, keep in mind, when Joseph was relaying this information to the courts in 75, it did sound bizarre. However, today it may not seem so unbelievable because shoe companies today are making claims regarding foot health and the importance of proper footwear, not to mention they do pay special attention to the way the heel rests in a shoe. Well, plus on top of that, if you're sick, most of you might not know this, some of you might, but if you're sick... It's going to sound weird, but I swear to God, it works. If you take an onion and you cut it into slices, so, you know, you get the whole fucking, like, slice, and you put it on your feet, on your on, on the bottoms of your feet, and put a sock over it, it sounds disgusting, but it draws a lot of toxins through your feet See? out into the onion. See, I've heard to put a sliced onion in your room if you're sick, too. Oh, that might work, too. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I've heard that different you know different versions and that of it. shit actually works i had <coughs> i had this uh this old lady tell me that um an herbalist and i'm thinking um okay this lady's full of shit but you know what i'm pretty sick i'm gonna try it and sure enough i mean i woke up the next morning she said you'll feel right as rain within a day maybe two at the most i said okay after the next morning i woke up i felt right as rain really felt amazing oh yeah i was ready to kick some ass with your onion-scented feet. With my onion-scented feet. That's right. Yeah. These nacho feet. These onion feet. <laughs> these onion feet. Onion. Got to get the onion, a little bit of Cajun seasoning, seasoning in there. <laughs> Woo-hoo. We're going to do some catfish fried today. Woo-hoo. You going to slap your mama. <laughs> it, it'd be so good you slap your mama. <laughs> so Joseph also testified that, and this is him quoting, he was the son of God and that for 961 years he had existed as a butterfly. Now. That's me. <laughs> okay, I got to admit, at night, I, I wrap up in my blankets because I'm a scatterpillar. And then, when I wake up, I bloom out into a beautiful scatterfly. And I flutter around all day. I'm done. So, despite how bizarre his testimony sounds, especially if you just read it from the court transcripts, it also seemed like Joseph understood all of the questions he was being asked in order to know how to answer them. He also didn't have any random outbursts or make any unrelated statements. Not to mention, he managed to follow a consistent, coherent thought pattern. Okay, those are important now. Even though he appeared to hesitate talking about his beliefs and delusions in the beginning, once he started, it appeared as if he displayed classic signs of performance signs professionals are taught to watch out for signs that would indicate that he was faking insanity that is he would make he made a clear attempt to impress upon others that he was strange instead of hiding from hiding what others would consider abnormal okay i accept my strangeness okay oh we know (laughs) with my onion feet we we know 
So most of Joseph's testimony consisted of Berkowitz talking, taking him through his typical day at work. It was obvious he was trying to place a significant emphasis on the chemicals Joseph frequently used and on the fact that his workspace didn't have an adequate ventilating system. Aha! Uh-huh. You see, yeah. that's what a good Jewish attorney does for you. They look at all the aspects. It's not like those, dare I say, Germans. They don't look at nothing. They're just You need a good good Jewish boy. That's Tammy, that's what you need. You need to go to temple and get yourself a nice Jewish husband, okay? Is that what I need? That's right. A nice yarmulke wearing Jewish husband at temple. My Jewish husband would probably roll over in his grave. Oy vey! You're just you're, you're such a pessimist. Okay, dear. <laughs> so Berkowitz was trying to convey to the jury that when the crimes occurred, Joseph was some suffering from the ill effects he had from the fumes of the chemicals he used at work. Joseph stated, quote, I was having a lot of problems with seeing. I was having a lot of problems with my speech, my breathing, with it was just ridiculous. My eyes would twitch, hands would shake, various things like my sense of touch would be altered. I can't see clearly now, the drugs are gone. <laughs> Anywho... So, Berkowitz did make a mistake, though. He didn't call any experts to the stand to corroborate their claims about Joseph's behavior. He also didn't call any professionals to testify about the effects of the chemical fumes, or if there were statistics showing other people who had used those same chemicals had similar issues. He only had Joseph read off the cautions printed on the label of the said product. Caution, do not use rectally. <laughs> yeah. However, the prosecutors didn't present any witnesses to counter the defense's claims, nor did they object to the testimony in the first place, for that matter. Now, experts have said that Joseph's testimony had one glaring contradiction. When his youngest daughter had health issues, Joseph wrote a multitude of letters to various specialists across the country in his attempt to find a solution for her problems. That, in itself, demonstrated coherent and organized behavior intellectually from a man who claimed to have intellectual disability. At the time, however, nobody seemed to point out that obvious discrepancy. Joseph was also the one responsible for taking care of his children throughout the years. Not to mention he did the family's accounting, ran his own business, working 12-hour days, and he took care of his mother, who was bedridden. He said he did all of this himself because Elizabeth wasn't capable of handling those tasks herself. The incompetent woman, I tell you. So despite his obvious competency in running a somewhat functional home life, he still tried to claim that he couldn't remember being present in the homes of the victims. He claimed he had no idea how their valuable items wound up in his or his mother's house. And not to mention, he was pretty sure that at the time the home invasions occurred, he was at home taking a nap. I know, right? So Joseph stated, the only thing that makes any sense to me is that someone came into my shop picked up my prints and placed them on the door by reversing some tape or something. Yeah. That's how the prints got in other people's houses. Right. You know he what? Was that, tracks. that tracks. You know, get off my boy's back. That tracks. <laughs> okay. So the prosecution cuter didn't feel the need to cross-examine Joseph much. However, Zimmerman did question him about the ventilation system he supposedly had in his house. Then he finished his examination with one Final question. As he turned away, you have hemorrhoid flare up. No, as he turned away from the 
the defense, you know, the stand. He says, oh, by the way, what kind of butterfly were you? Although it seems like an odd question, it was asked in an effort to show the jury that Joseph was faking his insanity. Because if one claimed to be a butterfly for the better part of 900 years, then they would probably know what kind they were. I'm right? a monarch. So, the scutterfly. Anyways, Joseph wasn't prepared for that question because he didn't have wings? a quick idea. Didn't have a quick reply. He simply stammered, um, no particular kind. Which I think was classic. So, um, where was I? Oh, Joseph had to literally be dragged into court kicking and screaming the entire way on the final day of the trial. He claimed that he was too sick to attend because he had been up the entire night before vomiting profusely. The judge wasn't buying it and didn't excuse him. So in his closing arguments, Zimmerman emphasized the evidence of the fingerprints, the fact of the stolen items were discovered in Joseph's house, and how the victims had ID'd him as their intruder, not to mention the burglary appeared to be well-planned before it was carried out. <coughs> the defense's closing arguments, though, they contended that Joseph had been in Philadelphia on the day the crime allegedly took and place. he's not a real butterfly. Right. However, even if he had been home when the incident occurred, he was unaware of what he was doing and had no comprehension that his actions were wrong. They stressed that he had suffered from, quote, toxic derangement as a result of inhaling chemicals over the years as cobbler. The jury broke for deliberation, and as the members of the jury filed out of the room, both sides sat and wondered how the 12 individuals were affected by Joseph's testimony. As it turned out, they didn't have long to wait. In fact, the jury took less than one hour to decide that Joseph was guilty on all charges. When members of the jury were later interviewed by the press, one lady said she had, quote, she, quote, had never believed that the defendant was out of touch with the reality, despite what his attorneys tried to present. And another member of the jury stated the insanity issue didn't confuse us. Most agreed that they believe Joseph was faking his responses to the psychological evaluation. See, that's just an example of a jury trying to keep a butterfly down. Just saying. <laughs> From that point, the defense did have seven days to appeal the jury's decisions, which they did not do. So right before the sentencing phase of the trial, Berkowitz filed a motion for Judge Dowling to reconsider having another competency hearing. Apparently, he felt there were more issues that occurred in jail just before the trial began that warranted a re-examination of his client's competency. For example, he reported that Joseph thought there was a ghost haunting his cell. The ghost was that was just the torso of a young boy named Charlie who talked to Joseph and was persecuting him. In other words, Berkowitz wanted a pre-sentence psychiatric evaluation of his client. That's right. You want to know why? Because he goes to Temple and he's a good Jewish boy. Continue. Okay. Continue on. So at trying the to time, hold my butterfly friend down. Judge Dowling reminded Berkowitz that his own experts didn't believe that his client's condition justified a defense of insanity. That was despite the fact that they were still unsure of his true mental state. Berkowitz tried to counter that that he wasn't talking about legal insanity, but instead he wanted to discuss the condition of his client's schizophrenia, which he felt needed to be taken into consideration and, quote, treated in the context of present competency to be sentenced. So basically he's saying, I'm not saying he's legally insane. I'm saying that you should take a psychiatric case into consideration when you sentence him and maybe not give him a harsh sentence. 
Uh, Basically. I think he definitely needs mental help. I don't think a prison is right yeah. for him. I mean, don't get me wrong. What he did is fucked up. But what he needs is a lot of psychiatric help. And I've bitched about this forever is that in this country, we do have a psychiatric issue. Oh, we do. You know, a lot of the hospitals have closed down. So there's not a lot of resources for those who are, you know, mentally fucked up. Yeah, that's true. You know, sometimes prison's not the answer, guys. Sometimes you got to put them in a nut hut. Right. Because so Berkowitz even admitted, he says the case, the state had a strong case with the physical evidence that implicated his client in this home invasion. However, he still felt that the single incident, quote, had to be judged in the context of Callinger's life as an adoptee with a mental illness and history of family disturbances who had been harassed for some time by the police and falsely arrested. Berkowitz also contended that when he was in jail on the abuse charges, his business was virtually run into the ground. Not to mention that two weeks after he was arrested, his, this last time his mother passed away and his daughter was suffering from a rare disease. He stated, quote, the circumstances involving these events in his personal life conspired to break down this man's ability to live as a sociable human being. And his butterflyism. Yeah. So apparently everyone, including the universe in general, was conspiring together to prevent his client from being a decent human. That tracks. Who didn't commit violent crimes against people. He's just trying to be a decent butterfly, and everybody's trying to hold him down. That's not, that's not right, man. Fly on, my beautiful butterfly. Fly on. Yeah. So after hearing what Berkowitz had to say, the judge addressed Joseph and told him that he, quote, was an evil man who had not only treated his victims badly, but had told one that he would return to get her. And not only that, he had consciously chosen to include his 12-year-old son in his crimes and to corrupt your own son as vile and depraved. Judge Dowling said that in his opinion, Joseph was, quote, violent and dangerous and therefore ordered him to spend no less than 30 and no more than 80 years in the State Correctional Institute at Rockview. Even though Joseph had the right to make a statement at the time, he chose to keep his mouth shut. Good call. Huh? Good call. Yeah, this time. So by the time Joseph was sentenced for the home invasion crime in Dauphin County, the authorities were in the process of preparing for his extradition to New Jersey. He was transferred to Huntington State Correctional Institute to await the process. Now, reports indicate that after Joseph was found guilty in Dauphin County, he realized he had to do something drastic to get people to believe he truly had a mental illness. Even though he had not acted out at any point before while he was in his jail cell, all of a sudden he started to after that point. For instance, he started throwing his urine and feces at the guards as they walked by. I do that every day. He clogged his toilet in an effort to keep Charlie from getting him. He would place random cups of water under his bed, and he would mix cups of orange juice and plum juice with his own urine. Mmm, tasty. Dude, I was just, yeah. So prison officials called in a consulting psychiatrist to observe Joseph's behavior each day. And according to his professional opinion the man was faking his mental instability joseph was ordered to undergo another evaluation with dr hume to determine his competency and dr hume arrived at the same conclusion quote joseph calendar was not mentally ill it was obvious he was trying to make an impression on people with symptoms he simply did not have in fact, according to Dr. Hume, after observing him for approximately 28 hours during the trial, he felt that Joseph was clear-headed enough to consult with his attorney and to be in touch with reality. In other ma- words, the man was a manipulator. <clears throat> so this is the last part before we end part two. 
So Joseph's trial in New Jersey, he was given a new defense attorney, Paul Giblin. As soon as Giblin received the case, he hired Dr. Erwin Purs, an expert from Rutgers University Medical School, to evaluate his client. Dr. Purs spent the better part of 14 hours interviewing Joseph and reported that the man was, in fact, a schizophrenic. He had reviewed the report submitted by Dr. Hume and the other experts, and despite their conclusions, Dr. Purse felt that Joseph displayed certain symptoms of borderline psychosis. However, Dr. Purse's report also stated that much of the behavior is not in keeping with psychosis. Much of the behavior has had a, quote, game-playing quality. He also made note that indicated he thought Joseph took enjoyment in perplexing people who were interviewing him. And in his conclusion, Callender did not appreciate the nature of his actions and was eligible for the insanity defense. Okay, number one, he's not on the border of insanity. He got his passport (laughs) and he crossed that border a long time (laughs) Time ago, ago. right? Like he didn't just walk across going, hey, it's my passport. Nah, man, he made the mad dash of passport and he's gone. He actually, got it stamped and everything. Actually, I'm going to uh, reverse that. I'm going to take that back. He went, here's my passport. Flutter, 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 <laughs> flutter, flutter, flutter. And he fluttered his little wings right across that border as fast as he could. He's a sweating little butterfly. Right. Even though he had several doctors examining him at the time, Joseph decided to take it upon himself to enlist a spokesperson of his own. While he was sitting in prison waiting for his murder trial to take place, he decided to send a letter to Professor Flora Retta Schreiber, the author I was talking about earlier. Right. So at the time this took place, Schreiber was a professional of a professor of English and speech at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. She was also the author of the best-selling book, Sybil, which was a nonfiction account of a woman with 16 personalities. Now, she's going to come candles. into play a lot later. But that's the end of part two for now. I want to be his spokesperson. Boys and girls, do you or someone you know think have a, butter- a butterfly? Think they're a butterfly? <laughs> if so, call 1 800 flutter, 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 flutter. <laughs> and we can help you. There's a support group that is here for you. Monarchs forever. Flutter, 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 <laughs> flutter, flutter. Somebody you know has died from a butterfly. <laughs> I love those commercials. Do you or somebody you know? Die from this medication. Oh, Call us. look! If you're dead, <laughs> I know. <laughs> now maybe I'm wrong because I don't know everything in the world, but I'm assuming if you're dead, you ain't making a whole lot of phone calls. You you never know though. Yeah, I guess it's possible. I just think the probability is pretty fucking out there. Right, right, right. No, I get it. All right, boys and girls. Remember, you can send me and only me because I'm a stud. An email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com because you love me. Leave her out of this. <laughs> Ouch. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Just type in at BrutalNation. We'll pop right up. Get the full story without any of my bullshit. Unless you like my bullshit, then listen to this episode again and share it with your friends. Check out our Patreon page. Every little bit helps because this stuff is expensive. And let's see what else. Um, was there something else? I know we're copyrighted. I think that's it. Yeah, this show's copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And you know what, boys and girls? I will catch you, butterfly motherfuckers, tomorrow. We love you and night, night. Bye. Bye.